When I was in uh, elementary school, we're going way, way back, way back. When I was in elementary school, uh, for several summers growing up, we had this place that we, um, where I went to summer camp, and it was on this place that we called Treasure Island, and, uh, and it was a magical place, and uh, so there was this, it basically was this small little island or whatever, um, right off of this river there in, in Virginia where I grew up, and so... There were, this is where they, they built this camp or whatever, and, and, and it was a really, really cool camp. And some of the things that I remember about it, uh, one of which was they had this rickety old bridge. It was a one-lane bridge that you thought every time I get on this thing, it's going to fall, and, uh, and I'm going to go plunging into the river. Um, and so I remember that was the only way on the island and the only way off. And I remember you know the horseback riding things and, I mean, the... Um, basketball and tennis courts and I mean all the things that you would typically maybe do at, at summer camp and so there was a, a period for a period of several years maybe uh, five six seven even eight years old there was this this place I went every summer called Treasure Island and I loved this place I mean it was a, incredible and there were a lot of other kids that loved this place too there was one major thing about Treasure Island that scared the crap out of me and put fear in my heart and in my mind and a lot of fear in every other camper at Treasure Island. And that was this thing called the Swamp Lady. Now, that might be a picture of what I envisioned when I was told these stories of the Swamp Lady. Um, like that creepy woman from Insidious or whatever. I mean, that was... This is... This is kind of what I envisioned as a five, six, seven-year-old kid as I was told stories of this swamp lady who lived in the river. And the swamp lady loved to eat little kids who came too close to the river. And so we would hear story after story from these adults and from camp counselors and stuff of the swamp lady and how she had eaten little Johnny and little Susie who had wandered too close to the river and you know, wandered off from the rest of the campers and from their counselor and the swamp lady was ready like that to eat, pull them under the water and eat them. And so I remember as a seven-year-old kid with that vision in my mind and every other kid that was on Treasure Island, as much as we loved that place... That was the thing that we hated the most. That was that thing that we were always aware, and there were stories and things that we talked about. About what do you, do you think the swamp lady's eating any kids today? Do you think she, when was the last time you think she ate? Like, how many kids did she eat? And stuff like that. I mean, that, these are the conversations that we as little kids are having with each other as we're trying to enjoy this camp. And as I look back now, you know, what was 30 years ago, even, this was a, a powerful, powerful story. And it was powerful to me because of one thing, one reason. It kept me away from that river. And I remember making sure that I never left the counselor's side or never left the other kids or whatever because I didn't want that lady to eat me. Now, another story that I remember growing up that was also powerful but for much different reasons than a swamp lady. Uh, growing up in the, in the church that I was uh, that I was in growing up, there was a guest speaker that would usually come once a year. And the reason why I loved this guest speaker so much was because he told his story. And it had such a profound impact on me. And no matter how many times I had heard it, 
I always made sure that I leaned in. And it was like, you know, hearing it for the first time all over again. This, this guest speaker would come in and he would talk about how he was born as a stillborn baby. And he was basically kind of in the hospital, was rolled over on a cart into the corner of the room and just left for dead. He was left to die. He told a story about how he, he had cerebral palsy and how he was picked on a lot and made to, to feel like the outcast and, you know, because he, he talked funny and because of the way he, that he walked. And, I mean, he just, he told this heartbreaking story of, even as, as a little boy, of how he lost both his mom and his dad to cancer. And, I mean, literally everything in this guy's life was going wrong. And he talked about how, you know, the kids picked on him. He talked about all the times that he contemplated suicide growing up because he just felt like he had nobody. And then he told about the time that one person showed enough interest in him that invited him to church. And he told about how he sat there and he listened for all of those years, how he had, had confirmed and even uh, in his own mind had convinced himself that God didn't love him, that God didn't care about him because of all the things that he had been through. And how he sat in that church service and he listened for the first time as he understood that he had believed lies for all of those years, that in fact God did love him. And he talked, and how over the, the next few years, as he began to, to travel around and to, to speak to people and to share his story, and even became a pastor of a church one day, and he walked around and told people not only his story, but he told other people about God's love for them, and how the same love that had transformed his life could transform theirs. And his story was so powerful to me because I watched a guy and listened to a guy who literally had nothing realize that Jesus was the only thing that he needed. See, regardless of, of what story you look at, I mean, the, the truth is stories inspire, stories have power, stories speak and, and communicate incredible things to us. The author Janet Litherland, here's what she says about stories. She says, stories have power. They delight, they enchant, they touch, they teach, they recall, inspire, motivate, and challenge. They help us understand. They imprint a picture on our minds. Do you want to make a point or raise an issue? Tell a story. See, we all love, I think for most of us, we, we love, there are stories that we love to hear about. There are stories that, you know, we, we love having a story to hear, and maybe you can even think about a story that you've heard growing up, or a poem that was read to you, or maybe a book that you read, or whatever that maybe has, has impacted you or inspired you, or, you know, had some, left some kind of imprint on your life. That there are stories that we hear that impact us. And we love having stories to hear, but I think for many of us, we fail to understand that we also have a story to tell. We have a powerful story to tell. And when we fail to understand that, it prevents us from telling the greatest story that has ever been told and the story and the thing that can impact, have the greatest impact on the world around us. Now, as we get into this new new series called Storytellers, here's the first thing I want you guys to understand. You have a story. You have a story to tell. 
regardless of whether you feel like that's the case or not, regardless of as you think about your life and and your story and things like that, and you may dismiss it or downplay it or feel like it doesn't really have much weight or much impact, but the truth is you and I, we all have a story. And it is a story. The story that we have communicates who we are and what we value. And it is a story of your life. Right? Q1 Direction. Story of my life. That was a good one. That was, that was right on pitch, too. We all have a story, right? It's a story of our life, all right? And it's not some cheesy pop song. It is the reality. We have a story to tell. And your story and my, my story has the power to either inspire and bring hope to people, or it has the power to cause fear and maybe even potentially lead others down the wrong path. And what I believe determines the impact that that story has, whether it inspires and provides hope or whether it, it does something much different than that, all comes down to this one question. Who is it that's telling it? Who is it not only that's telling it, but who is it that's writing it? Who is the one? We have a story, but who is it that's sharing that story? Who is it that's writing it? Now, one of the incredible things about Jesus is that he was a master storyteller. He could attract a crowd, and he did attract a crowd with the miracles that he performed. But it was his stories that communicated God's heart, and it impacted people the most. And he came across as he walked around and he, he carried out his, his mission and did the ministry that God, that God had, had given to him. He came across many people who needed what he had come to offer. And there was one such woman in John chapter 4 that Jesus came across and it wasn't by accident. As you read the story and as you discover what, what all is taking place, it was, it was very purposeful. Jesus intended to, to run across and come across this, this lady. But it was one of the most odd moments. And as Jesus came across this lady, he, he was about to give her a story to tell. So in the story is in John chapter 4. And if you guys have your Bibles, you can open up there. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets this woman at a well. And he is, he is traveling from Judea to Galilee. All right, He's kind of been chased out of this area. And so he's leaving because people have not been very receptive to what he's He's been talking about some of the things that he's been doing, and so he's left to another area. And here's what it says in verse 4, chapter 4. It said, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Here's what verse 9 says. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, I want to stop right there for just a minute. And as, as we're going through this story, and even up to this point, there's, there's three things that I want to pull out of this story that impact you and me in terms of, of our story that we have. 
the story that we possess, the story of, of the life that we have. Here's the first thing I want us to pull out of this. Your story must describe a need. Your story and my story must describe a need. All right, so let's look at this, this lady. This lady has tried to find satisfaction in temporary things. All right, it says that she comes to this well every single day. She shows up maybe even at the same time every single day. And she's trying to draw water out of this well. And what she essentially is trying to do, I mean, there's other things in play here, but she is focused on the water as the thing that could meet her needs. So every single day, she's coming back to this well to draw water because she, it's going to meet a physical need for her. And she's looking to find satisfaction in this, the water that's in this well. And yet, what we understand about this is that she's coming every single day. Because even though she's able to draw a bucket or a couple buckets full of water, it, she's got to come back the next day because it never fully satisfies her. She runs out and so she's got to come back to this well to get more of that thing so that it, it, it can satisfy what she has and what she needs. So she comes back every single day because she needs more. Because the thing that she's looking to to satisfy her is not doing it long term. Now, in, in storytelling, this is called the conflict. All right, you've got kind of a little bit of an issue here. You've got the main character in this story, who, or a character in this story, this woman at the well, who's walking around, and all of a sudden, she has run into a, an issue or a problem. She's run into a conflict because she is trying to find satisfaction in something that is not satisfying her. Or at least it's not fully satisfying her long term. And so she's got a conflict here. She's run into a need. She's got an issue of unrest. Now, I wonder for how many of us, we are a lot like this woman at the well. Where we are looking to things in this world to satisfy us permanently. And you can fill in the blank. I mean, it may be different for each and every one of us, but maybe we're thinking along these lines. Man, if I... You know, just, my parents would just buy me a car. I'm 16. Man, all my problems would be over. Man, I'd have such a better life if I would just not have to drive that piece of junk car that my parents gave me. If I had a nicer car, newer car, if I just had any car, please, Lord, give me a car. Or maybe we think, man, if, if, um, if I just had a, a better family, man, a lot of my issues would be resolved. Man, if my home life was not just a total wreck, it'd be a whole lot easier. Maybe we think along lines of that relationship with that boy or that girl. Man, if, man, if I just had a relationship or may, if I just took the next step in that relationship, if, I, if we went to a certain place, if we did something, if we became sexually active, I mean, whatever the case may be, if, if we just, man, I would find satisfaction if we would do that or if I had that. Maybe we think, man, if I, if I just jumped into a certain crowd, if I just you know, went to that party, if I just did this. I mean, whatever the case may be. But we essentially, all of us, from time to time, we look to the world to satisfy the needs that we have. And more specifically, we look for temporary things to fulfill a permanent satisfaction. 
And what ends up happening, just like this woman at the well, is that it leaves us feeling empty. Maybe it satisfies us for a period of time. Maybe it brings joy to our life. Maybe we feel like it's, it's something that we've been looking for. But at some point, that satisfaction runs out. And then we're going, man, it didn't really do what I felt like it, it should have done. And we still, we feel that unrest. We feel that conflict. We feel like there's a need that's not being met. And the first part of our story that makes it so powerful is that it outlines a greater need. It communicates the fact that the things of this world do not satisfy us like we think that they should. And what it does is it communicates the fact that we need something else. And that's exactly what this woman was feeling. And the fact that she was coming to this well every single day, even subconsciously, it put her in a position where she was ready to have an encounter at the same place that she came to every single day looking for something to fulfill a need. So not only does our story must describe a need, here's the second thing. Your story must involve an encounter with Jesus. What makes your story and my story so powerful is that at the moment of our greatest need, we find the thing that we need most. We have an encounter with Jesus. Here's a couple things about this story. The woman at this, at this well, as she has this encounter with Jesus, she is completely and totally unworthy to be in Jesus' presence. She understands, and she even asks the question, what are you doing talking to me? Because Jesus is a Jew, and this woman is a Samaritan, and culturally speaking, Jesus had no business talking to this lady. I mean, there's, there's so many other reasons. She was a woman. She was, she was a common woman. Um, she was a stranger to Jesus. She was ultimately a Samaritan woman. And these two groups of people did not talk together. They did not get along at all. And yet, even though she was unworthy to even be spoken to by Jesus, Jesus takes great care and concern for this woman and shows up at the place that she needed him most. And how true of that, how true is that of us? Where maybe you think highly of yourself or whatever, no matter what we think of ourselves, the truth is, you and I are common, ordinary people who, in all reality, Jesus has no business talking to us. We really are even unworthy to carry on a conversation to be in God's presence, to be with Jesus. We're unworthy of having any kind of relationship whatsoever with the creator of the universe. And yet Jesus takes great care and concern for who we are. And he offers us what we need most. So the story continues. This woman says, what are you doing talking to me? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. You have no business talking to me. Here's what Jesus says. In verse 10, it says, Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Skip down to verse 13. It says, Jesus says, Anyone who drinks this water from the well will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. 
it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. I love the woman's response. Verse 15, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. And here's what I love so much about Jesus. He goes to the exact place where that woman was looking to have a need met. He doesn't wait around for for the woman to show up at the local synagogue or the next church service or whatever for her to come stumbling in. He doesn't wait for her to kind of get her life together or whatever. Jesus goes on the offensive. This is not by accident that Jesus kind of stumbles across this woman. As you read the story, Jesus starts telling her things about her life. Jesus knew exactly who this woman was and he knew at that exact time this woman would be coming to this well. And rather than going, man, I love her, I care about her, man, I want to give her living water, and, but I'll just kind of sit around and wait until she figures some things out and then she'll come to me and ask me for it. Jesus goes to where she is. Jesus seeks her out. Jesus goes to the place where she's been trying so desperately to find that need met. Because he knows that if he shows up in that place, then he can help her understand that the thing that she needs most is not the water out of that well, but the living water that he offers. Man, how true is that of us as well? What is so incredible about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't wait for us to clean our life up. Jesus doesn't wait for us to kind of get our life in order and fix some things or whatever. You know what he does? Jesus comes and he meets us at the greatest moment of weakness. Jesus comes and he meets us where we've been, in that area of our life where we've been trying so desperately to find that thing that we need most. Jesus meets us there at that place. Jesus comes to us in that broken relationship. And he reveals to us, you know what, that thing's not going to satisfy you like I will. He shows up in the midst of maybe our parents' divorce and he reminds us, you know what, I'm the one that can offer hope and life to you. Maybe he meets us in that greatest area of weakness or that sin that constantly traps us or, or keeps us down or that area of temptation that we face and he meets us in that place Because those are those areas of our greatest struggle. And that's where he's able to help us understand that he can meet the need that we have. He's come to offer us living water. And just like this woman, as she starts to understand that Jesus is offering me something much more significant than what this well can provide. Then what's her response? Please give me this water. I don't want to thirst again. I don't want to have to come to this well every single day. Would you just give me what it is that you've come to offer me? And for us too, man, I think for for all of us in here, Jesus is reminding us that if you only knew who I was, if you only understood who I am and what I've come to offer you, then you would ask and I would give you living water. I would be able to satisfy your need. I would be able to fill your life with hope. I loved you enough to give up my life for you and to sacrifice for you because I want you to experience hope and freedom and forgiveness.
And when we understand that Jesus is the one that can do that, and we reach out and say, God, please give me that thing that I need most, what ends up happening is we watch as God transforms our life. I can't think of a more perfect picture just to help illustrate this than um, than this next video that we're going to show. And this is a story about Megan. Check this out. Man, what a, uh, what a powerful story of redemption. And, um, and what I love, there's so many things that I love about that story. And, and I, I think what, um, what communicates so much power in that is the fact that she was able to say, look, I understood that, that I had a need and, and the world wasn't able to fulfill that need. And yet I found hope at the point that I needed it the most, that Jesus showed up and he provided he provided hope, and he provided forgiveness, and he provided freedom. And um, her story's not done yet. And I think, Megan, we're proud of you and excited for you and what God's... This story that he's writing with, with Megan's life. And just like for so many of us, that God is, is just beginning, that, that God every single day is, is crafting and working and moving through our lives to create that story that's ultimately going to bring him glory and help other people understand that he's the one that can provide hope. And that's what makes it so powerful. And here's, here's the third thing that, that, um, that I think for all of our story and, and that is illustrated by Megan's, Megan's story is that our story must be shared. Your story and my story must be shared. Here's what, again, in verse 28, what the woman says as Jesus is talking to her. It says, The woman left her water jar beside the well, and ran back to the village. And I, I, I love the fact that it says the woman left her water jar. That it even points out that little tiny detail to say that thing that she was bringing with her every single day. That she was tr- trying to provide that need and try to find significance and satisfaction. All of a sudden when she encountered Jesus she realized you know what I don't need this thing anymore. And she left the, the jar there and she ran back to the village telling everyone Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Verse 30 says, So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Skipping down to verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So we stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and to believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. See, Jesus' transformation, it doesn't just stop at that one woman at the well. That Jesus ends up transforming maybe even an entire village. That there are, we don't even know how many people came from that village and encountered Jesus because of what that woman had said. And then they too were transformed because they understood that Jesus was the savior of the world. But it all started because that woman shared her story. It started because that woman went back to those people that she knew and said, you've got to come see this. You've got to come hear this. There's somebody that's out there that can meet the need that we all have. Not only do you have a story, 
but you have a story to share. You don't have a story to kind of keep in and hold to yourself or keep it private because you're afraid of what people may say. You don't have a story just to only share with those people that you feel like might have that same story in common. You have a story to tell everyone. Anyone and everyone that will listen. And it doesn't mean necessarily that, you know, it's for a video that we show at Reckless or you get up on a stage and share it on a Wednesday night or at Rush or whatever. But it means that everywhere you go, you share your story. Maybe with your lost family, your mom or your dad that don't know Jesus, and you've begun to understand, you've had that encounter with Jesus. You've understood that God has offered forgiveness and freedom, and you are starting to grow in that knowledge and that wisdom of God's you've got for your life, and you've got a story to share your, with your family. You've got a story to share with your classmates, with your friends, with the people on your sports team. What made Megan's story possible is the fact that there were other people at that lunch table to say, look, I've got a story and here's what happened and you need to come and experience it too. You and I have a story to share. As I mentioned earlier, in a a month from now, we're going to be transitioning downstairs. And like I said, the, the main reason we're doing that is because we believe that there are 25,000 other middle school and high school students in our community who don't know Jesus. That there are almost 14,000 high school students within a 10-mile radius of this church that don't have a relationship with Jesus. And we could be content with the ones that we've got in this room and go, you know what, that's enough stories, that's enough life change. Let's just kind of keep it the way that it is. But God's called us to share our story. God's called us to go and to, and, and to carry it to other people out there that need to be transformed. And our ability to watch us go and fill that worship center and to watch God provide hope and healing to other students who walk in over the next few months and even years is all directly tied to your willingness to share your story. It comes back to, to the question, how willing are you? How ready are you? How passionate are you? about sharing your story with people that need to hear it. And either we kind of keep it to ourselves and we're afraid or we hide it or we say, you know what, I've got such a tremendous story. God is changing and transforming my life that I've got to make sure that everyone that I come across is able to experience that too. That's what God has called us to do. Here's the main point for us tonight. The story of God's greatness is best shared. The story of God's great tell the story of his work in us. The story of God's greatness is best shared when we tell the story of his work in us. Psalm 89 verse 1 in the message says, Your love, God, is my song, and I'll sing it. I'm forever telling everyone how faithful you are. I will never quit telling the story of your love. And maybe there are some of you in the room tonight who maybe you identify right now in this moment with that woman at the well or maybe with Megan's story and how she used to be. And maybe you have tried so many different things, so many different paths. You've looked to so many things to find significance, to find satisfaction, to find something that will satisfy your heart. 
And the more things that you've tried, the more dead ends that you've discovered, and it's just left you feeling like, is there really anything that can satisfy this void that I'm feeling? And the great news for you tonight, regardless of of where you're at or what your story looks like or what your struggle has been up to this point, is that Jesus comes and he meets you where you are. Jesus meets you exactly where you are tonight in this room to say, you don't have to search anymore. You don't have to go down any more dead ends. You don't have to continue to look to other temporary things to find the permanent satisfaction that I'm offering you tonight. And what I believe Jesus is saying is, if you knew who I was, then you would ask and I would give you living water. I would give you eternal life. And if that's you in the room tonight, man, it is as simple. We'd love to talk to you tonight. Maybe it's your small group leader after. If you don't have a small group, uh, small group leader, come up to me and talk to me. I'd love to talk to you or another adult that's, that's in this room to where we can help you understand what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus and to find that satisfaction, that living water that Jesus is offering. But for the rest of us, it comes down to our willingness to share our story. It comes down to our understanding that we have a story and that we have a story to tell. And that as we tell the story of God's work in us, we get to display the greatness of God to a world that desperately needs to understand and experience his love as well. Let's pray together. God, we love you and make us go through some song and dance. You don't make us jump through a bunch of hoops. You don't make us go on some wild goose chase to try to find you. But God, you run to us and you meet us in the darkest parts of our lives. Because it is at those things where we've tried to find the satisfaction that only you can offer. God, I thank you for stories like Megan's. God, I thank you that you met her where she was, that you've helped her over the last six months to understand that you satisfy her soul. God, that she's put her faith and trust in you as Savior and received the forgiveness that you offer her through the cross. And God, even though the trials and the things, even though she still faces difficulties and family situation is still messed up, God, just believing that you have something better and and you just infusing her heart and her life with hope and knowing that you walk through life with her. God, I pray for students in the room tonight who are in this room, who are sitting in these seats, who have who have spun their wheels and done everything that they could imagine to try to find significance and satisfaction. God, I thank you that you meet them where they are. God, I pray that they would discover that you are the thing that they need. God, may they trust in you as their savior tonight. And may you infuse them with hope and forgiveness and freedom. God, help us to share our story. God, help us to become storytellers who go everywhere that we are and we we tell people just like this woman did you've got to come and see what it is that Jesus has done for me God I pray that you would use our story to impact other people who desperately need to hear it God we praise you in Jesus name amen